if thought itself is a uh, it is an illusion in the sense that it's mechanically produced, if thought itself is produced by electrochemical processes, then thought becomes something like steam, you know, arising from a pond, or you know, light in, Maybe you know, emanating from is. a light bulb. <laughs> Um, well, my thought is yeah, like incense my, rising to the god that they don't believe in. <laughs> I don't know. Mine is like, and mine is like steam arising from a fetid pond. Right? <laughs> I get it. Well, you know, you're a better man than I. What can I say? Okay, I'm a better analogist but, than you are. Hello and welcome to another spontaneous, autonomous, and most importantly, voluntary episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken. I'm Matt Swaim, along with my colleague Ken Hensley. We're with the Coming Home Network. Visit us at chnetwork.org. Especially come check out our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. And if you want to keep us rolling along and helping us do what we do, go to chnetwork.org slash donate. Ken, how are you? I'm doing good. And, you know, every week I, I wait with bated breath to see what your adjective is going to be. And this one fits very well, the content well, of today's episode. I want to say that episode. it's intentional, uh, but that'd be redundant based on what we're talking about today. So, Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Voluntary, intentional, free will, right? Okay, let me begin with an image. If you're, Are you done with your introduction? I have no more adjectives, at least for the next like 30 seconds or so. Okay. Um, let me begin with an, with a, with an image. Okay. Imagine Matt, that a man arrives at the airport for his flight. Okay. Let's imagine it's you. Matt arrives at the airport for his flight. Matt's suitcase is closed. It's firmly latched. And yet there's all kinds of junk just hanging out through the, through the seams, you know, a little bit of a sock, a little bit of a sweater, one arm from a shirt, you know, a tie, few things like that, maybe a, a charger, you know, cable for your for your phone. So the lady at the counter says to you, um, Mr. Swaim, you will need to make sure that everything is in your suitcase before we can check it in. So Matt says to her, um, can I borrow a pair of scissors? The woman gives you a pair of scissors. You pick up your suitcase, you just very carefully go around the edge and you just trim away everything that is everything that's sticking out from your suitcase. And once you've trimmed it away, you've thrown it all in the trash, you hand the scissors back to the woman and you say, okay, now everything is in my suitcase. All right, how does that fit with anything? Well, I think of the atheist as being like this man, like you in the little story that I've told. In this way, the atheist insists that everything can be explained in terms of his purely materialistic, naturalistic view of the universe, where nothing exists but particles interacting with one another according to strict physical chemical laws, okay? The atheist insists that everything can be accounted for, that is, that everything fits into his philosophical suitcase. And lo and behold, it turns out that everything does fit into his philosophical suitcase because whatever doesn't fit, he simply uh, insists doesn't exist. It's an illusion. He trims it away. 
This is an image, I think, that fits well with what we've been doing in this series because we've seen so far in this series, we've been covering a number of topics. The consistent atheist insists that it's an illusion to think that we human beings have special value or that we possess high value or equal value. The reality, he says, is that we are baboons with an excess of neurons. That's a, that's a phrase that I, I literally, an atheist writer, uh, used, okay? We are, baba we are baboons with an excess of neurons, and we have no more inherent value than a baboon. And if you think otherwise, the atheist insists, you're committing the sin of speciesism, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. No, no, no. This whole idea of us having special value is an illusion. It's trimmed away because it doesn't fit into the atheist materialist suitcase. The consistent atheist will insist, in fact, that moral absolutes are an illusion, that morality doesn't really exist. No, the reality is this. In a universe in which nothing exists but brute physical particles interacting according to law, morality, as Michael Roos says, I'm quoting him now, is a biological adaptation no less than hands and feet and teeth considered as a rationally justifiable set of claims about an objective something. Ethics is illusory. It's an illusion. The consistent atheist will insist that it's an illusion to think that human beings possess unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, the reality is that the only rights we possess are rights that we grant to one another because there is no God who could endow us with unalienable rights. It just doesn't exist. The rights we have are rights that we determine, decide to grant to one another. The consistent atheist insists that it's an illusion to believe that life has meaning that is transcendent meaning and purpose. The reality is that we live, as Richard Dawkins has said, in a universe in which there is no design and therefore no purpose. The reality is that you and I are here simply, purely because a series of random genetic mutations sorted out by natural selection have resulted in us. As Stephen Gould wrote, we may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. Okay, so we've gone through these various subjects, Matt, and last week we considered um, human consciousness because the atheist will insist, that is consistent atheists, that even consciousness, I mean, even the sense that we have of our own personal identity of being somebody uh, rather than being nobody, that this is simply an illusion that is generated by electrochemical processes in a brain it's a fiction, says Daniel Dennett. Again, as we go through these subjects, you know, there's a consistent pattern. We believe in a materialist, atheist universe, and therefore anything that doesn't fit within that universe needs to be trimmed away and relegated to the realm of illusion. All these things we've talked about, they're all simply illusions. And today we're going to go a step deeper we're going to look at another aspect of human experience that doesn't fit into the philosophical suitcase of the materialist and therefore cannot exist. It simply does not exist. It has to be relegated to the realm of or to the status of illusion. And that is our experience of free will, the subject Ken, of free will. I just want to make sure that for some of our listeners who think we might be going down other roads, that we're not talking about um, necessarily free will as a theological concept. We're talking about it as like 
how it fits in this conversation about scientific materialism. I hope that we get to have that conversation later because you came from a Calvinist background, um, which believed in predestination uh, in a certain, yeah. under a certain definition. I came from a Wesleyan Arminian background, which believed in free will under a certain specific kind of mm-hmm. theological mm-hmm. definition. And I hope that we um, down the road get to discuss the nuances of that conversation, but that's not what we're getting into today. Yeah, and you know, I would like to. I've thought a number of times about us doing a series on that, you know, on Calvinism in a, in a sense, you know, and I've thought about that. But yeah, you're referring to what's, or you're referring to what is referred to as theological determinism, the position of a hardcore Calvinist. But that's not what we're talking about because what what we're doing is where we're performing an in, an internal critique of the materialist worldview, and that's what our focus is on. All right. Okay, so we're talking about free will. We're talking about the concept of free will. Now, most of us would say, in fact, all of us would say, if we're just speaking in an ordinary sense, how all of us feel and how how all of us experience free will, we would say that we act freely to the degree that our choices are not determined by forces outside our own will, that our will has the power of agency to choose. Now, our choices are always influenced. We understand that. In fact, powerfully influenced sometimes to one degree or another by forces that are internal to us, our own character, our own maybe addictive addictions and other other issues within us, but also forces external to us. And sometimes they are powerfully influenced. But to the extent we would say that the choice we make has not been determined by those factors, to this extent, we would say that we are acting freely, that I'm able to act or not act, I'm able to act in one way or to act in another way. Philosophers refer to this conception of of freedom as libertarian free will. That's the philosophical title that's given to it. And I want to emphasize a couple of things. First of all, it's this. This is the common sense understanding of free will that most everyone has. And it's rooted in our common sense experience. Because each of us is simply aware, I mean, from the time that we're little, you know, throughout our entire lives, we're simply aware immediately and aware intuitively that we are agents and that we have the power to choose. I mean, I can choose to eat an apple, I can choose to eat an orange, I can choose to walk up and down the street or go around the block, I can choose to look directly at you in the camera right now or turn my head slightly to the right, my right, or slightly to the left. This is how we experience our ability to act freely. And, and the whole of society to, is based yeah, on ahead. this common sense principle in the sense that, uh, well, we're in a democratic society, um, at least theoretically we're in a democratic society. Who knows how deterministic that really is here in the United States of America. Uh, otherwise, yeah. why would people try to influence people to make a free choice to vote for one candidate or another candidate? Advertisers know this. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, why would yeah. they try to influence our free choice to buy this toothpaste over that toothpaste? Um and so on and so forth. Law is based on this. Why would we forbid certain practices and uh, promote certain practices of good citizenship unless we believed that in doing so we could help influence someone's free choice in that particular arena? You're exactly right. I mean, everyone who writes a book is, you know, the people who do advertising, our judicial system, everything is based on this basic idea that people do have agency and do have freedom to choose. We're all going to be influenced 
But to, that to the extent that our choice is not determined, like there's a gun against your head, I mean, even that, strictly speaking, doesn't absolutely determine you to do anything. But this, this is our common sense understanding is what I'm saying. This is the way that we experience free will as libertarian free will. And even though those who reject this view of, of um, free will, and I'm referring now to the atheist, I'm not getting into theological determinism again, but even those who reject this view, even those who would hold to what is referred to as a hard determinism, a pure materialistic determinism of all things, in the course of their normal lives, they act as though they believed in this view of free will. Um, and, and, and as we've done with the other subjects we've touched on, it's important to point this out so that our viewers can see we're not putting words into the mouths of of our of the people we're talking about because atheists freely admit this in fact popular atheist author sam harris he complains that and i'm quoting now he complains that people find the idea of libertarian free will so intuitively compelling that he says it's hard to get them to even think about determinism which is his point of view the view that he wants to argue he says does he ever say anything like find, I was going to say Go I can't I can't help that I act as though I believe in free will. Does he ever say anything like that? Because that would be a well, cool statement. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he said that, but you know, he's complaining that 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 the libertarian conception of free will that that I'm describing here is so intuitively compelling that it's hard to get people to even think of a different view. You know, you, you have to get their mind, you know, into a particular rut that you're wanting to dig for them. You know, a furrow, and it's it's hard to make them even do that. Um, again, atheist philosopher of mind, John Searle, he speaks in a similar way too. He admits that this common notion of free will, libertarian free will, he admits that it's so inescapable that even if it is an illusion, he says we would have to live as though it were not, okay? So he believes it's an illusion, and you know, even if it is an illusion, it's inescapable. We would have to live as though it were not. In fact, he makes a comment, kind of a funny illustration, where he says, that when the waiter at the restaurant presents us with an option of either pork or veal, he says, no matter what our philosophical point of view, we simply can't bring ourselves to respond. Look, I'm a determinist. I'll just have to wait and see what order happens. <laughs> so basically, what not just you and I are saying, but uh, what you know, people who are pure philosophical, atheistic, scientific, materialistic determinists mm -hmm. are saying um, that natural free will is so obviously intuitive and so clearly the way the universe seems to run they have to work really hard to prove that uh the, everything we see and feel and hear and touch and experience is the opposite of what's actually true i mean well i, I seems like there's I would a only lot make to prove slight, here i would only i would only make a slight adjustment to what you just said they may think that it's easy to prove determinism but they're admitting that it's hard to get someone to even think about it. It's hard. It's hard to get someone to see it and to agree with it, because it, it's like telling people not to believe what is right in front of their eyes. You know, it's like saying, you know, I, it's, I understand it's, it's that you're looking that, out Ken. through your eyes, and and I, I understand Ken that you're looking out and you see Matt, but it's an illusion. He's not there. What, not what did me. you just say that I missed? I said it is, literally, said it is literally telling people to believe the opposite of what appears directly in front of them, which um, yeah, yeah. would seem like rejecting all scientific evidence and uh, everything that be, can be tested. Well, see, I'm not, I'm, not even, 
I'm not even really on debatable grounds here because all I'm saying is that libertarian free will, this is how we experience free will, and this is the ordinary sense that people always have of it unless they're taught something different, and that atheists agree with what I'm saying. You know, atheists agree that this is the way we experience it, this is the way we think of it. I think of John Searle again, even if it's an illusion, we simply have to live as though it were true because you can't go around saying, well, I'm, I'm a determinist, I'll just have to wait and see what happens, you know. Okay. And if you did so reject libertarian- free will and begin to, you know, conform yourself to the will of the universe, like how would you know that you were doing that? I mean, you wouldn't. I mean, it's not like you have a choice to comply with determinism. No, if it's true. No, and we're going to get into this a little bit later in our in our discussion today about where that leads people like Sam Harris and and uh, John Searle and others. Okay, so anyway, libertarian conception of free will. This is how we experience it. We experience our ability to choose. This is the intuitive sense that we have. And guess what? This is the view of freedom, human freedom, that is described in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I quote from paragraphs 1730 and 1731, God created man a rational being, conferring on him the dignity of a person who can initiate and control his own actions. Freedom is the power, rooted in reason and will, to act or not to act, to do this or that, and so to perform deliberate actions on one's own responsibility. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is explicitly outlining here a libertarian view of free will. And you can catch it by the terms they use, to do this or to do that, to act or to not act. You know, they're hitting it from several different angles, okay? In other words, the Catechism is telling us that God did not create us as puppets whose every thought, word, and deed is determined by forces within or forces without. And uh, in a very classic passage from Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis explains why he believes God created us with this ability to choose. And I'll just read that quickly. This is Lewis. God created things which had free will. That means creatures which can go wrong or right. Some people think they can imagine a creature which was free but had no possibility of going wrong, but I can't. If a thing is free to be good, it's also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, a world of puppets, of creatures that worked like machines would hardly be worth creating. Of course, God knew what would happen, if they use their freedom in the wrong way, apparently, God thought it worth the risk. And, you know, this again opens up a whole doors to all kinds of theological discussion, but, but that's not the point that I'm making here. I just want to say, this is, libertarian free will is how we experience it. This is the normal way, the intuitive way, and this is what the Catholic Church teaches as well. That's it. And that atheists even agree that this is how we experience it, to the point to where we would have to believe it, even if it was an illusion. Okay. I'm All right. in agreement so now, because I can't say anything, Ken, because uh, if I say anything else beyond the fact that I'm admitting that I can't say anything, then I'll accidentally drag us into the whole question of theological determinism. <laughs> and so I'm just holding my tongue here so that you can go on and continue the argument. Okay. Well, all right. So now we look at free will and naturalism or determinism, or free will and materialism. Okay. So here's the question then. What happens to free will if the universe is what the philosophical materialist atheist says that it is. Okay. That's what we're going to explore now. Explore it. 
what happens to free will if the universe is what the philosophical materialist says it is? Well, let's kind of tear this about, I mean, tear this apart point by point. Well, we all know that physical systems are by their nature deterministic. You know, you drop a pin on the floor and that pin is going to bounce exactly where it has to bounce given all the physical factors, you know, the speed at which it was dropped, the surface of the floor, the angle, all that kind of thing. Shoot a rocket into the air, it's going to go exactly where it has to go. You know, uh, I think about automobiles, you know, the engine is running, the pistons are going up and down. I just provided pistons still exist, I don't really know. And um, But material systems, physical systems are by their nature deterministic. Physical systems operate according to strict physical laws. Okay, but according to the atheist materialist worldview, our entire universe represents one gigantic, inescapably deterministic material machine. That is a system of causes and effects. And according to the materialist, you and I, Matt, are products of that one massive, inescapably deterministic material machine. In other words, the machine that we call the physical universe includes you and it includes me and it includes everything about us. And so what is the logical implication? Free will is another one of those illusions. Is this where it we have to talk to about like chaos theory, about how, uh, how do we explain unexpected things in a deterministic world. And then we have to bring in Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park to talk about how... I was going to say, yeah. I, I was going to say... What's the line from... Uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. The I'm trying to remember how the chaos theories put it. Uh, it's the present determines the future, but the approximate present does not determine the approximate future because there's so many like microscopic little things figuring into this equation. It's still okay, determined... but all these microscopic things... Yeah, or still determined. It's just, We're not governed we by our brains. We're governed by the interaction of neurons and electrons at the atomic level in patterns and fractals and things that we can't even see. But it's all yeah. And another thing that I another thing that I left out because it doesn't really affect this is someone might say, ah, yes, physical systems are deterministic systems, but at the quantum level, there's some such a thing as as indeterminacy, quantum indeterminacy. That is, when we look at the quantum level, it appears that particles move sometimes in a random fashion. But of course, that's not going to help us because if we have randomness at the micro or at the quantum level, and then we have physical determinism at the macro level, we still don't have freedom. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, we still have randomness or we have complete mechanical determinism, but we still don't have freedom. But we and, don't even so, have randomness, right? Because even if I draw a number out of a hat, Ken... Or even if I can, yeah, it's determined by it's determined by like a whole bunch of other factors on the molecular level. Even if I tell my like, you know, I'm, I, I've got my TI eighty two graphing calculator from my sophomore year of high school. Even if I uh, put like a little program that causes it to randomly generate a number between one and ten, even that will not be fully random because like, well, the, the of, machine is programmed to to run through certain things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Okay, well, look couple of quotes now from atheists, because as with every topic that we've covered so far, you know, human value, morality, human rights, consciousness, all the topics that we've covered, I'm not saying something that atheists don't admit and that they don't themselves insist on. And so a couple of quotations. Here's another one from philosopher of mind, John Searle. 
Quoting him, we are inclined to say that since nature consists of particles and their relations with one another, and since everything can be accounted for in terms of those particles and their relations, there is simply no room for freedom of will. John Searle is an atheist, and I can say across the board, there is no atheist on earth. Well, I won't say that. You can't prove a negative, but there's I've never read an atheist, a thoroughgoing, consistent materialist who believes in libertarian free will. It just doesn't make any sense, you know? You have a materialist worldview, you have a deterministic worldview. They follow from each other. Here's Sam Harris again, probably the most important atheist writing and talking, debating on this issue of free will today. Harris has no problem openly declaring that free will is an illusion, and it's made him very popular with, in certain circles. This is what he writes. Human thought and behavior are determined by prior states of the universe and its laws. We are driven by chance and necessity. Okay, there you got your indeterminacy thrown into. We're driven by chance and necessity, mechanical necessity. Just, I'm quoting him again, just as a marionette is set dancing on its strings. Matt Swaim, you are a marionette dancing upon your strings today, and I'm the same. Okay, Daniel Dennett is an atheist as well. And so he also believes that free will, that is as we experience it and commonly understand it, libertarian free will, is an illusion. He's a materialist and therefore he's a determinist. On the other hand, he believes that there is a way to understand freedom that is compatible with determinism, with a total material determinism. And so he's what you would call a philosophical compatibilist. And so he disagrees somewhat with Sam Harris, but again, that's kind of a rabbit trail that I don't need to go down. Can I still like because, use an illustration though? Sure. Related to that. First of all, yeah. I'm not a marionette, Ken. I'm a real boy. So, just so <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I wonder if the compatibilism <laughs> between the marionette and the real boy that Dennett talks about has something to do with that state where Pinocchio is neither. Well, he both has no strings, and he's not yet a real boy. I don't know. Does Pinocchio well, fit the, into to Dennett's illustration? I have no idea. The no, because the the compatibilist view that that a that an atheist would have is basically a view that yes, everything is determined, but at the level of a human life, it's determined in such a massively complex way that we can still say that people are responsible. Because okay. of, of all they've experienced, everything they've learned, you know, the machine is very, very complicated to the point to where responsibility still makes sense. Okay, I still so say he does. Still say, I'm a, I'm boy, a real right? boy. <laughs> Pinocchio. Okay, uh, back to Geppetto here. Okay, so so Dennett disagrees with Harris. All right, but but here's the bottom line. Given their mechanistic view of the universe. For all of these men, for every atheist, really, free will as we experience it, that is, as we understand it and experience it, is an illusion. Libertarian free will is an illusion. Whether they choose to describe themselves, their position in terms of a hard determinism or a soft determinism or some form of compatibilism or whatever, John Searle goes straight to the bottom line when he says, and I want to repeat this, because he goes straight to the bottom line when he says, since nature consists of particles and their relations with each other, and since everything, everything can be accounted for in terms of those particles and their relations, there is simply no room 
for freedom of will. There's no room for a libertarian conception of freedom. No room for it. Everything has to be determined. You and I exist as cogs, put it using another analogy or illustration. You and I exist as cogs in a massive material machine. We may be, we may be very complex cogs, but we are cogs in a massive materialist physical system of causes and effects in which everything that happens is determined by the laws of physics and chemistry, prior states of the universe, the laws of nature, and this includes our thoughts, our ideas, our reasoning processes, and our resulting choices, our, our, uh, the, the actions of our will, what we would consider freedom, our choices. Okay, now to the implications, which are interesting and somewhat humorous and fun to talk about. You mentioned this last week, Matt, okay? But given what atheists themselves say about all this, about the subject of, of freedom, you mentioned last week that you're left kind of wondering why they bother to talk about it, why they bother to write about it, why they bother to lecture about it. I mean, what makes them imagine that their thoughts are worth sharing? That, Especially that's, if that's they're not even thoughts. Up. Right. Uh, not even thoughts, meaning what? Well, like, if, if thought is... Wait, I mean, I'm skipping ahead to next week, but if thought itself is an illusion, then what is it that they're sharing? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if thought, if thought itself is a... Uh, it is an illusion in the sense that it's mechanically produced. If thought itself is produced by electrochemical processes, then thought becomes something like steam, you know, arising from a pond or, you know, light in, Maybe you know, emanating from is. a light bulb. Um, well, my thought is yeah, like incense my, rising to the God that they don't believe in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't in know. Mine is like, in mine is like steam arising from a fetid pond, right? <laughs> I get it. Well, you know, you're a better man than I. What can I say? Okay? I'm a better analogist but, than you are. But why do they bother writing? If, if they've already come out and stated that free will is an illusion and that everything in the universe is utterly, you know, is utterly determined by particles and their relations. Okay, according to John Searle, I mean, he just said it. Nature consists entirely of particles and their relations and everything can be accounted for. Everything can be accounted for in terms of particles and their relations. And because of this, in fact, he is willing to say, quoting, there is simply no room for free will. In other words, when Searle says these things, he's, at, he's not acting freely. He's saying what he has to say. And when you and I hear the things he's saying and we respond to them, we're responding as we have to respond. So why is he writing it? I mean, except I guess it's just fun, you know. He enjoys but it. Is it fun? But even fun itself it. is an illusion, Ken. <laughs> No, I'm, you know, I want to be fair. I suppose that he would say, no, 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 no. You know, everything's determined, but it's such a complex kind of thing that I can still convince you. I can still, through my writing and arguments, convince you, and that'll be part of what deterministically changes you into being like me and believing that free will is an illusion. And for some reason, that's important, even though the whole universe is completely meaningless. Or at least the perception of uh, you uh, will be convinced by the perception of me, because even the sense of self is an illusion. Yeah. Okay, and Sam Harris is in the same boat. Okay, Sam Harris tells us that everything is determined by prior states of the universe and their natural laws. He says we are marionettes set dancing upon our strings. So again, except just for fun, I guess, why does he want to lecture? Why does he want to write books? Why does he want to debate? Because according to his own view of things, every single thought he has in his head is determined by prior states of the universe. 
he's a puppet, he's a marionette dancing on his strings. Why, 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 why? Which made me think of a toy that I had when I was a kid. And, you know, of course, the, the, the thing that I would normally say to you is you must be way too young, but I'm not going to say that because I know you are very much in touch with things from ancient days and whatnot, correct? But I had a toy called Rock'em Sock'em Robots when I was a kid that I loved very much. You had a red robot and you had a, a yellow robot, plastic robots, who are standing in a boxing ring and you sit on one side, your friend or your brother, sister sits on the other side, and you push buttons and the and the robots box with each other. They smack each other in the head. Have you ever seen such a thing? Yeah, and, and we had the same thing when I was a kid. It was called Street Fighter 2, right? Same or, thing? Uh, same kind of thing, except with video games. Yeah. My son's generation oh, yeah. has it now. It's Super Smash Brothers or whatever uh, the new one they call it, uh, the the one that just came out, uh, Metaversus, which is where you can uh, make Shaggy from Scooby-Doo fight against Batman. I Similar thought that Facebook. Though. Well, I mean, that's too. Those are characters fighting against each other as well. But yeah, yes. games have become very complicated now. You know, you can run around in the Metaverse now with a flamethrower just torching people. But um, I, I'm trying to think, but when I was a kid... Uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots was about as cool as it, it gets. You know, these plastic guys slugging each other because you're pressing the buttons. And the, the thing that cracks me up about that illustration is that by their own admission, John Searle and Harris are nothing more than a pair of what I refer to now as Rock'em Sock'em Human Robots. Extremely complex Rock'em Sock'em Human Robots. Because particles interacting according to strict, you know, laws of chemistry, physics prior states of the universe, the laws of nature, are operating within them and pushing buttons. And when the buttons are pushed, then they jump up and they say things like, libertarian free will is false. <laughs> um, free will is an illusion. And uh, the other one says, yay and amen. But I have a slightly different version. You know, the button, again, the deterministic particles buttons are being pushed and someone else like Daniel Dennett says, no, 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 I believe in compatibilism. There's a way of viewing uh, determinism that is completely compatible with accountability. And uh, so, again, they're saying what they have to say. Uh, we are responding as we have to respond. Everything is determined. There's no such thing as freedom. Why in the end say anything? That's a very good question. But again, it comes back, it cuts back, uh, you know, through all the things we've covered in previous weeks, uh, you know, about consciousness mm -hmm. and about morality, about human dignity, about all of it. I mean, it all comes yeah, down morality, to this. You hit on the idea of morality several times, and that is, how do you explain moral accountability in a deterministic universe? You know, which is, as, as, as you mentioned, the basis for a democratic society, the basis for our legal system, the basis for any kind of punishment or reward, moral accountability for our actions when you say everything's determined. How, how, how can a person be held morally accountable when everything that person does is determined by prior states of the universe, particles in their, in their interactions with one another, we talked about this when we did that episode that was titled The Axe Murderer and the Crocodile um, some, some weeks back. And we were talking about Sam Harris because Sam Harris, who says that free will is an illusion, he is willing to rise to the occasion and assert that we should cease entirely talking about accountability in moral terms. He's the, the one that is, made that point. For example, he says that 
He says that Ted Bundy had no more choice in whether or not he was going to kidnap, torture, and murder, you know, 30-some-odd young women. He had no, no more choice in whether or not he would do that as a rattlesnake has uh, when it strikes someone who crosses its path in the forest. Like a snake, he said, Bundy was only doing what he had to do, given prior states of the universe, his internal nature, everything around him and around his life. And, and he goes on to say, if we understood this, we wouldn't throw around terms like evil, um, guilty, good, bad, and all the rest. He says that what we would do is we would simply lock Bundy up to protect the innocent in the same way that you might lock up a rattlesnake um, or any other kind of dangerous creature you know, that's going to crawl around and sting people or bite them or destroy them or anything like that. Okay, that, that's his point of view. Now, let me go off on a little tangent here because I think this is kind of humorous. I asked myself at one point, I, I imagine Sam Harris is, is Ted Bundy's defense attorney, okay? And imagine that he's making his closing argument to the uh, jury, and it would go something like this, okay? Matt, okay, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, as you are about to move from this courtroom into deliberations, I ask you to keep a crucial scientific fact in mind, and that is that everything that occurs in this physical universe is determined by prior states of the universe, the laws of nature, particles interacting with one another, and so forth, okay? I want you to keep that. This is a scientific fact. I want you to keep it in mind because, first of all, I want you to remember that what my client did when he killed all these women was nothing more than what he had to do. I mean, he, he is a marionette dancing upon his strings. What he did, he had to do. He had no choice whether to torture and murder these women or not. Please keep that in mind. And, and then also keep in mind that you are nothing more than 12 marionettes, marionettes dancing on your strings as well. And the way that each one of you votes as you go into deliberations is gonna be completely determined by prior states of the universe, by particles and their relation to one another and so forth. And then finally, Your Honor, please keep this in mind as well. When the verdict comes back and you begin to contemplate the sentence that you want to pass, you need to understand that you as well are nothing more than a marionette dancing upon your strings. And every decision you make, every thought in your head, every determination you come to is going to be something completely controlled by prior states of the universe and its laws by particles interacting with one another according to strict chemical and physical laws. Please, jury, keep this in mind. Your Honor, please keep this in mind. Although I have to admit that when I contemplate these realities, these scientific realities, I have to ask you, how is it possible that my client is going to get a fair hearing? This is the one case in which you could say the outcome of the case was determined before it even went to trial. Yeah. Determined in this case and in all cases and in all cases. But, you know, I, okay, that's a joking kind of way of saying it, but I wonder how, um, wonder how Sam Harris would defend. I guess he would just say, look, what he did is not helpful to the flourishing of human society and human happiness he needs to be put away. Oh, no, wait, he's his defense attorney. I forgot. <laughs> he's not going to argue that way. That's the prosecution. Okay, well, let's kind of begin to wrap this up. Okay, I, I read this somewhere, and I'm sorry I can't find the, the, um, I can't find the source. 
But a rabbi once said, the theist has to explain unjust suffering, why God allows unjust suffering. The atheist has to explain everything else. <laughs> I know you kind of like that. Um, it's funny, but you know, there's a truth in it. Okay, the theist has to explain unjust suffering. The atheist has to explain everything else. Let's do the numbers, okay? Atheistic materialism is a worldview. That's the thing we, that we have, have to grasp. It's a, it's a way of viewing the universe, and there are implications that follow from this view of the universe. And in this series, what you and I have been doing is drawing out some of these implications with respect to some of the basic fundamental aspects of our experience as human beings. That is, with respect to human worth and dignity, with respect to morality, human rights, meaning and purpose in life, all of these we have learned are illusions for, for someone who is a consistent materialist, consistent scientific materialist. Last week we learned that even consciousness is an illusion. The reality, said Daniel Dennett, is that electrochemical processes in our brains, the firing of neurons, etc., are making it seem as though there is this person, me. It's, it's making it seem as though there is this person to you, you, when in reality we are nothing more than a vast assembly of nerve cells and associated molecules. That's Hence what your we comment about, about us consciousness. Being, uh, yeah, the, the clothes without the emperor, right? I mean, in this case, it's not that the yeah. emperor has no clothes. It's that there is no emperor. <laughs> there are only clothes. There is the appearance of a human being in every way, and yet no one is there. It's really, in fact, there's another group of atheists they're referred to as eliminative materialists. We're going to talk about them a little bit next week. The eliminative materialist just eliminates everything. You know, illusion, another word for it, trim, trimming around the suitcase, eliminates everything down to what is actually happening. And what they would say is that Thoughts, ideas, intentions, motivations, memories, pain, um, the idea that I see color, the idea that I hear sound, all of this is what they refer to as, um, oh, I can't remember what they refer to it as, but but I'll know next week. I can't remember. But they basically Is memory also say, an illusion in this worldview? I don't know. N no, it's called like folk um, it's, it's not called folk tales, but it's folk illusion, something like that. We'll talk about it next week a little bit. But basically what they say is all those things are, are an illusion to us. What is really happening and all that is happening is electrochemical processes, neurons firing, neural connections being made. That's what's happening. That's what's really happening. So, okay. the, so and I mean, the lights are on, but literally nobody is home. Yeah, no body. Yeah, yes. No yeah, body the is home. The, oh, the are, body is home. The lights are on. But no, yeah, the lights are no on. one is home. The wheel is yeah, the spinning, but is the there. hamster is not running. I'm, the new clothes are, are there, but the emperor doesn't exist. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Um, or as uh, Matthew McConaughey said in reverse, I am a, what was the one? He's a man of the cloth. It was man of the cloth the man. Okay, okay, a man of the cloth without the man, though. Without okay. the man. Okay, and okay, and this week we, we kind of go a step deeper than all of these, and we learn that even our sense of free will is an illusion. 
Instead, we are marionettes dancing upon our strings. The strings are material causes, cause and effect. Now, I want to apply this to the subject again of evangelism that we're that we've been talking about in this series, because it has become popular of late, um, especially among young people, really, but more popular to embrace atheism, and many, I would say, may, maybe most, to embrace who embrace atheism, don't realize or don't think through the implications, the truths that must also be embraced by anyone who wants to embrace atheism in an honest and consistent way. And I hear that in debate. Atheists will often say, I simply lack a belief in God. I mean, think of think think about what that is sort of implying, as though nothing else changes. You know, oh yeah, I'm an atheist. I simply lack a belief in God, but everything go, else goes on as it as it ever did before. Well, no. as the popular uh, gotcha line goes, you know, uh, you believe in God, you're a monotheist. I don't, so I just believe in one less God than you, right? Which is a fun little like yeah. shocker yeah. gotcha line that falls apart under even the mildest of scrutinies, as we've been discussing over the past. Few yeah, weeks. because but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a common thing to say. Yeah, I simply lack a belief in God, which is sort of assuming or is sort of conveying that everything else just goes on as usual. Everything else is normal. There's nothing else that I have to sacrifice. I'm just sacrificing a belief in God. Everything else I have. Along with morality and and dignity and free will and consciousness, right? I mean, we've tried to show no, no, no. Look, embracing an atheist worldview entails embracing everything that logically follows from an atheist worldview. So it means embracing the idea that human beings have no special value whatsoever, that a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. It means embracing the idea that morality is an illusion, that right and wrong are words that we use to describe what we don't like, and that's all there is to it. It means embracing the reality that human rights, that is inalienable human rights, don't exist that the only rights that exist are rights that we decide to give one another. And therefore, you know, we looked at infanticide and we looked at abortion. If a mother does not want to grant the right of life to her unborn child, the child doesn't, doesn't have it. It means, it, it means accepting all of these things that logically follow, that life has no transcendent meaning or purpose, that the entire universe is an accident of nature and is going nowhere. It means... And those are ones that a lot of people are willing to accept. They're like, okay, fine, life has no meaning. Fine, morality is relative from person to person. Fine, we don't have any special value. You know, a rat is a pig again. You know, as a dog, as a boy, we're just like cockroaches and whatnot. But then when you go deeper too, it means, it means embracing the idea that even your sense of personal identity is an illusion. Just being generated by electrochemical processes in a brain and that freedom is an illusion too. Total materialistic determinism. It means, if you want to be consistent, it means trimming away everything that does not fit within a materialist worldview. You're not just trimming away God. You're not just trimming away the idea of a human soul or spirits or angels or anything like that. You're trimming away everything that does not fit within a materialistic worldview or said the other way around. You're trimming away everything that, yeah, that does not fit. I'm just repeating myself. It does not fit. I was trying to think of, <laughs> you know, that's one of the problems when you launch into a sentence and you don't really know where where you're going. Yeah, you got to trim away everything that doesn't fit. And the reverse is you have to be ready to embrace everything that logically follows from it. And 
what I suspect, Matt, I suspect that many, maybe most of those who embrace atheism have not thought through all of the implications. They have not thought through carefully everything else that must be embraced as well. So that they're in this position where they, they say, oh, I'm a scientific materialist. There is no God. But then they live as though God existed. They live as though they were created in the image of God in the sense that they keep on believing that life has special value, that, that um, people really do have the, the, the unalienable right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that life has meaning, that we are conscious beings, and that's, you know, that consciousness is real, and that freedom is real. You know, it, so in other words, they say atheism is true, and they imagine that the only thing that they've had to sacrifice is a belief in God. And then they live as though God existed and as though all these things that do not follow from their worldview are still true and that they can yeah. enjoy them and they can live in them. And I think that's important to point out because, again, um, I don't usually get in too many arguments or debates with, with atheists necessarily. I get in conversations with a lot of agnostics, mm -hmm. and a lot of them are people who grew up with faith in the Christian God, right? Uh, but due to experiencing some of the same kinds of awful hypocrisies that I experienced in the 80s and 90s in that world, um, they've decided that they don't believe in that God. Or if they do believe in a God, it can't be it can't be what these hypocrites believed in. So um, that being said, they do believe in all these things. They believe in consciousness and dignity and, and free will. And uh, some of them are more passionate about matters of human dignity than... Yeah. A lot of Christians I know. Um, so, and that, but again, that's why we've been saying we've been saying they live in tension. And that, go ahead, that's yeah, what you're tension. describing. Um, and and I, I guarantee you that these people are not thinking that all this stuff is an illusion because they're not living like it. And they probably just, I don't know if they have not followed it that far or they have followed it that far. It scared them and they decided not to think about it. But again, these are the logical implications of a purely scientific materialist worldview. Yeah, and a lot of my and, friends who are agnostic are, are agnostic simply because they've seen where atheism leads, and they're like, well, it can't be that either. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, nothing is easy in this world, but I do think that leading people who deny the existence of God to think through the implications of, of what, what atheism would really mean, um, to think through the implications of believing in a world that really, truly is nothing more than a gigantic mechanical material accident, and challenging them to think through those implications, challenging them to accept those implications if they want to be consistent, I think that this can be a powerful form of evangelism. And the reason is the, that the implications of atheism are inhuman. They really are. And, okay, again, the tension. The person that I'm talking to when I sit down with, with a friend who denies the existence of God is a person created by God and created in the image and likeness of God, and therefore a person who knows in his heart of hearts that human beings do have special value, that, that, that the morality is real, um, that, that their sense of being someone is real. You know, they know that they are someone, and their sense of being able to choose, you know, exercise freedom is real as well. And so, and so when, when I talk to them, I can have a certain level of confidence that the, that the logical implications of the worldview that they say they hold, that they espouse atheism, are implications that will not sit well with them. It's implications that are going to feel really inhuman to them that they're not going to want to, um, 
embrace. They're not going to want to fully embrace them. And so I'm trusting in a sense that the inhuman implications of atheism are going to, can be a motivator to move them to think again. Um, I think in one of our earliest uh, lessons in this episode, I talked about the fact that I view apologetics and evangelism at times as, as the work of simply reminding people of what they kind of already know, and yet for one reason or another, they, they buried it. And I, I see this as one way of, of reminding them, by drawing out the consistent implications of atheism and just setting them on the table and saying, do you really accept all this? Do you feel good about this? Is this the world you, that you believe in? can be a way of reminding them because they sit there and go, no, you know, I do believe that right and wrong are real. You know, yeah, I believe I'm somebody, you know, I'm not nobody like Matthew McConaughey said in True Detective. I'm not nobody. I'm, I'm somebody. I know that. And I'm know a real that boy. Freedom. I'm a real boy. <laughs> okay. Sure. Well, I'm going to go back into my workshop and in, into Geppetto's workshop and See what I can do. But yeah, I think you're a real boy. I agree with that. Yeah. Now I'm going to go try to get some sleep and hopefully this cricket doesn't wake me up again. Uh, by the and way, of course, you say- you're only a real boy. You're only a real boy if God exists. That's the thing. You're That's only true. a real boy if God exists and you're made in God's image. Yeah. Otherwise, way, can you give me a hard time about being too young to know about things? I want you to know I've got a Glenn Campbell you? album like on my on yeah. vinyl on the shelf behind me. So I'm not too young to know about things. Yeah, you, this yeah. is, by the way, one of his lesser-known offerings, this album called uh, I Knew Jesus Before He Was a Star. So, in case you want to rock some... No, you're not that young. Something beyond, young. get into the and, deep cuts, beyond Rhinestone Cowboy and Galveston and Wichita <laughs> Lineman. I, I got someone. You know, I never realized what a what an absolute vir- virtuoso Glenn Campbell you can was. You shred. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I grew up just thinking, you know, hearing those songs like Rhinestone Cowboy and thinking that's the extent of him. I mean, it is a great, you know, hit song. But I mean, I was just blown away when I found out that he was a studio guitarist and a, and a total shredder. You watch Glenn Campbell shred. And can you think to yourself, here is just a series of mechanical impulses firing without any will or consciousness. No, you can't say that. You say this is completely an determined. Every finger that hits the string completely determined what fret it's going to go to. Yeah, you know, I hope that we've shredded the materialist worldview a bit. Hopefully, in the so. way that he shreds, like like Glenn Campbell the in the studio. That's what we've done. Well, if you appreciate these kinds of discussions, uh, and they are wide ranging, then please do come visit us at chnetwork.org uh, for more resources from the Coming Home Network. Especially if you're a person who's asking these questions in your own life and and want to have a conversation with them. As a matter of fact, the best place to have those conversations is in our online community, community community.chnetwork.org. And again, this is all made possible by uh, the generosity of people who help support us. So chnetwork.org slash donate uh, if you want to help out with that as well. I'm Matt Swaim. Ken Hensley, thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. Are you really Matt Swaim? I don't even know at this point. I don't even know. Are, Are you a marionette named Matt Swaim? I'm a real boy! Okay, well, I'm going to bounce on my strings out of here. Good to see you. Talk to you next week.